Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly, and we're back with another Matt the Hatch with Matt Green. How you doing, Matt? How's it going, Marvin? Hope you're doing okay. I'm doing fine, just waiting for the Easter Bunny. How about you? Oh man, I'm. it's going to be Easter this coming week, isn't it? <laughs> uh, spoken like a true graduate student. Bedtime flies when you're having fun. There you go. So uh, if I understand correctly, we have early caddis uh, on tap for today. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go over some of the early spring caddis flies that you may or may not be seeing in your neck of the woods. It really just depends on what latitude you live at. You know, a little bit north into Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York, you may not be seeing some of these things yet, or you may be, uh, depending on how low of elevation you are. Further south, north, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, portions of Tennessee, you're going to be seeing these guys right now. So we'll get into them here in a second, Morton. Well, that sounds good. So, uh, you know, what should people be looking for when they're out on the water? So a couple of different things. The first caddisflies to emerge are in the family Apatineidae. These are these little mountain case makers. Apatamia is the genus. These early smoky wing sedges. The adults are about a size 20 to 18. They have grayish black wings, and they're flying right now. The larvae make these small rock cases of fine sediment, and they're cream-colored, size 22 to 18. A lot of the caddisflies I'm getting ready to talk about, they're really not available to trout as larvae. You know, people try to fish them all the time, but fish have to work at them to get them off of rocks and wood and other things where the caddisflies are anchored to with silt. They produce silt to do this. And so I'm going to tell you about the larvae, but it's the adults you really need to be paying attention to. The trout will eat the larvae, and you'll find larvae in trout guts and stomachs when you pump them. But, you know, it's very difficult to truly fish the larvae the way they need to be. You have to use lots of weight. We can talk about that a little bit later with technique. But we'll just keep going here. So a bit are these next caddisflies that you might be seeing. They're called the fingerneck caddisflies. Chimera is the genus you'll likely be seeing, the little black caddisflies. The adults are anywhere between a size 20 to 18, dark brown or black wings. Real small, larvae constructing silk nets that become covered in this brown detritus as they get older. And the larvae are actually orange colored, believe it or not, size 18 to 16. And when you lift rocks in a stream, you might see these orange larvae walking around and you might confuse them for something that's called free living, which we'll talk about in a second. But they actually make these little detrital nets uh, that are fairly long and skinny. And you might see those close to where you see the larvae uh, walking around and kind of wandering aimlessly. Uh, the next caddisfly we're going to see are the hydropsychidae, these net spinning caddisflies. Hydropsyche and Chematopsyche are the two main genera. You might see the adults of Hydropsyche are size 16, brown town, brown mottled wings. Chematopsyche are very similar, except they have a uh, species within that group that has uh, gray wings. And so that's the main difference. These larvae make nets in very fast-flowing water. Larvae can be green, tan, brown. Uh, have very prominent abdominal gills. 
sew these uh, on the the uh, the ventral side or the bottom of the animal. There are these gills that look spiky, and a lot of folks, Marvin, like to use grizzly hackle or tan hackle to imitate these, and then they'll they'll trim that hackle off the top of the fly imitation, and then pull back some sort of clear cellophane, plastic, or maybe some sort of duck or mallet or something to cover up where they've trimmed that hackle off to make it cleaner. And they'll put uh, some sort of UV resin or epoxy on it to make it look more like there's actual cuticle there or skin of the insect larva. That's kind of cool side note here. But these larvae are in silken nets that they position upstream and as the flow goes into the net they catch fine detritus diatoms they catch small animals too that they eat and they they're kind of like these little spiders in a way because they have these nets that are in a uh, kind of a tic-tac-toe grid across a grid pattern normally that things hit the net and then they run out and grab them and so it's important to note, though, because they're very well confined to those nets, and trout will eat the entire net to grab the caddisfly out there. So it's almost impossible to really fish a good larval imitation of these guys, although you see tons of larval imitations of hydropsyche, in quotes, all across the board from the Europeans, from other folks. People may disagree with me, but when you find these guys, <laughs> the larvae, in the guts of fishes, includes the net and all most of the time. But the other thing you're you're probably going to see around right now, Rhycophylidae. These are the true free living caddisflies. The Rhycophylidae is the only genus represented in eastern North America of this family, and they include a larva called the green rock, rock worm. This is a very large, very prominent larva. You're going to see this thing crawling around on rocks. In the South Holston specifically, you find the green rock worm around the Rockhold Bridge area up to Weaver Pike, and then everything downstream of there all the way to the lake, or what used to be the lake a couple of years ago. They've been having some issues over there. But these guys are really big, size 12. If you're not fishing them, you really should be. They are available to trout. You'll fish them right along the, the bottom of, the, of rivers where they're found. They're found in almost every river you, you can find here in eastern North America. They're, they're found in the coastal plain, Mormon. I mean, they're everywhere. Adults are size 14 to 12, a large, a very large uh, brown-winged modeled adult. Uh, very prominent. They're out right now. I was a light trapping out at Little River, which is not too far from the Clemson area recently. Uh, we got about 20, 25 of them in there, so they're out. Now, the last thing I'm going to tell you about, Morgan, and folks listening, or these, this family called the Brachycentridae. These include the granum, the Mother's Day caddis, and the tiny black granum caddis. And for those listening that fish South Olsen, Watauga, these two genera I'm getting ready to talk about are very important to you. The first is an important genus for the South Olsen River, particularly any habitat downstream of the Weaver Pipe Bridge where caddis are more prominent especially as you get to where the, the lake used to be, formerly lake area. And this is Microsema, the tiny black granum caddis. The larvae make silk conical tubes with or without plate material. Their size is 12 to 18, apple green body occasionally. 
these larvae are so abundant, especially within bryophytes, these mosses, these short stem mosses that you'll see on rocks in that lower river section of South Olston. They are over in Watauga, but they're not as abundant. Trust me, the adults are size 20 to 18, black wings, sometimes an apple-colored body, sometimes not. But all of these species have a black lateral stripe that runs down the abdomen. Okay. The next one is more important for the Watauga River fly fisher folks. Brachycentris, including the granums and the Mother's Day caddis. Larvae have an extended pyramidal case. So it's a pyramid-like shaped case that's extended. And this case is probably about a size 14 to 18. Typically, the larvae can have an apple green body, but not necessarily. Some parts of eastern North America, these larvae have green bodies. On the Watauga and South, or in Watauga, excuse me, they don't necessarily have green bodies. Sometimes they're green, sometimes they're slight brown or cream. You just have to really pay attention to them. And this is definitely a place on the over on the Watauga where I've seen trout eating larvae. Uh, the larva and case and all, they eat everything. They'll pick them off the bottom of rocks, they'll eat them, especially the larva that's transitioned to a pupa inside the case. The adults are size 16 to 12 with brown wings, as sometimes with a brown or gray body over on the, the Watauga. Other places you might see uh, you know, these, these adults with green bodies that all the species in this group have this black lateral stripe down the abdomen, and that becomes pretty key with selective trout. I've taken a marker and darkened up my abdomens before, and it's seemed to work on the river, on the fly. Trout keyed into it. It was important. Um, I will say more than I tie all of these caddisfly adults with dubbing bodies. Stefano Tools makes a great dubbing loop tool that has a um, you know, it, you know the, the tool itself, you know, the, the part of the tool that um, uh, helps you form the dubbing loop has a rotating um, head to it that really helps with um, kind of you know, getting that dubbing loop just right. Got it. And, you know, talking about presentation, um, you know, you like dubbing loops. Do you like a, a fly that sits a little higher or a little bit more flush to the surface of the water? And how do you like to fish them? So I like fishing them high if I know the fish are actively eating the adults in the water. If they're, if they're eating more recently emerged pupae, so the emergers, I like to fish them a little bit closer to the water. But the flies I tie with the dubbing loop bodies and a CDC wing on the top, like we've probably talked about before on this podcast, more of like an FY variation. Um, that fly, when you first put it out there with frog standing, is going to float really high. And then after about four or five, maybe six casts of not reapplying frog standing, it tends to sit lower. And so you can fish that fly a number of different ways within the same, you know, series of casts, depending on what you see the fish doing. Upon, you know, mending and matching your technique to the behavior of the fish. And so if you see the fish eating on the surface, eating adults, 
you need to constantly be you know, reapplying frogs. Maybe to the fly or some sort of floating. And I typically apply with a paintbrush. Folks that have seen me do it out on the water see all this frog skinny go everywhere. Well, sometimes it takes that much, folks. Don't be, you know, conservative with frog spinning. Let that crap fly. <laughs> you know, buy it in bulk from distributors of fume silica here in North Carolina and, and other places and be fine. You know, I think you can buy it out in Harrisburg right now in the Charlotte area. There's a guy on eBay sells it through 20 bucks, 15 bucks a quart, including shipping. And that stuff will last you a whole season if you're doing it right. If you get out three or four seasons and you're fishing a lot, you're not reapplying enough. Yeah. You got to be going through a quarter season. <laughs> yeah, I think I've even seen, I think it's called Cabasil. I think I've seen it on. Cabasil, Cabasil Fume Silica is the same thing as Frog's Fanny. Yeah, I've seen it on Amazon. And I mean, I've seen it like, you know, at that price for a gallon. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's some stuff that clumps. And then there's some stuff that doesn't clump as well. And the, the clump stuff, I think, goes for a little bit more. And the thinner stuff goes for less. So so do watch out for that. You know, the clump stuff floats a little bit better than the thin. Uh, and then something else to keep in mind, if you're really applying that much frog fanny or fume silica, cabasol, uh, bring some hand lotion. Uh, by the end of the day, your hands really dry out, and on the dry back, it feels nice to have that lotion on there. Yeah. <laughs> it just it just feels awful. I don't I don't know if other people get the way I do, but uh, you know, coming out the water, it feels great. The lotion up after having your hands dry out with all that stuff. I mean, if you're doing it right, you should be able to stick your hand under the water, and you'll see your hand have some sort of polarized tint to it. It almost looks like. Um, the polarized sheen of sunglasses. And that also helps you figure out that you can apply or impregnate Cavasol in a, in a merger as in a nymph. We'll talk about this later in the year. You can impregnate Cavasol with a, a sulfur merger, for example, the nymph. And then you can fish that in the right surface film and the right, um, the right uh, depth. And it, in that Cavasol, helps that nymph not only float, but gives it off that polarized appearance, which is a very similar appearance to when the the nymph uh, pumps hemolymph or insect blood into its wings to expand out the thorax or the middle of the insect so it can help it rise to the surface and break the surface tension of the water and emerge. That's real important. But we'll talk about that a little bit later in the season more. Yeah. And, and, you know, do you, do you like to, um, you know, caddis, I guess are a little bit different than the dead drift game yeah. that most people think about. Do you like to animate your flies when you're fishing the dry? Yeah, you can, you know, so depending on your grip, uh, you know, everybody's a little bit different, but I'm a thumb on the court grip kind of guy. And so when, as you grip the cork with a thumb, if you're using an index finger, it's a good bit harder to really get the, the kind of motion that you want in the kind of, you know, the, that, you know, really get the kind of power that you want in part, especially if you're using a soft rod, for example, like one of these, these Scott rods or these, um, more old school, um, RL Rinston rods, you know, historically soft rods, 
if you, in one motion, um, you know, holding the grip, the cork of the rod, take your thumb and push forward and also squeeze the cork at the same time. Much like you, you push a door handle, one of these push door handles, these old school push door handles. If you do one of those movements and you also have the butt of the rod up against your elbow and you know, typically, you know, back in the day, Joan Wolf would tell you if you've got a 30 to 45 degree angle with the butt of the rod and your elbow, then you're doing something right. So what I tell people is to close that gap, close the gap to impart action. And so if you're holding the butt of the rod at about a 30 or 45 degree angle from the elbow and you push forward with the thumb and grab the cork with your forefingers and do that one motion and you close the gap, you'll impart enough energy with about a 15 to 20, 25, 30 foot cast, enough energy that you need to make the fly move and uh, elicit a strike. Especially if you're using a lesson ring left technique and you're swinging to the fish, even with dry flies, and you're standing upstream, of course, to do all this. So that's a little bit of the short technique, but hopefully you got a little bit out of that. Um, Joe Humphreys does, does a, uh, a very similar thing it's a combination of a Joe Humphreys thing with a Joan Wolf thing with, a, you know, some other folks that have taught me Copeland Brothers thing. So anyway, if you have questions about that, write in the next, the next um, you know, podcast and we'll talk more about it. I'd be glad to answer any questions about that. Yeah, absolutely, folks. You know, we love questions on the Articulate Fly. You can email them to us or you can send them to us on our Facebook or Instagram page. And uh, like Matt said, he loves questions and he's happy to answer them. And um, just wanted to wish everybody a happy Easter. And I hope you have a happy Easter as well, Matt. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Marvin. Have a good one.